Let's go. All right, guys, and welcome to episode 10 of the Let's Talk Tennis podcast. I'm here with Vulzi and Marty, and today we have our third guest on the podcast. Welcome, Ben. Um, and Ben, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself, give your background, and then I think we're going to dive in because there's a lot of stuff I want to talk to you about today. Um, so yeah, just for everybody who's listening, just introduce yourself. Thank you, Thomas. Real pleasure to be here. Ben Zeiser. I'm the head tennis professional here at the USDA National Campus in Orlando, Florida. Uh, always love talking tennis, uh, any time, even in the COVID times. So my background is, is a little unique. Uh, I, I, I grew up in Maine, in a, an area where where tennis isn't really big, grew up playing baseball, kind of burnt out of the sport in high school, found tennis. It was a, a sport that I very quickly grew to love. Uh, it was, came, I played uh, on a small team. We weren't that strong, uh, but, but found a sport that I really loved. And so I, I continued to play and, and learn and, and started giving back to the game uh, after high school and in college. Uh, and then shortly after college, uh, my background was in education uh, in university and uh, decided to, to take a, a jump into um, full-time teaching. And so I moved to Richmond, Virginia, to a great club uh, called ACAC, Atlantic Coast Athletic Club. And it was a big club, a lot of pros there, and I, uh, I, I learned a lot. And I think that's big, uh, big in the sport to, to constantly kind of soak up the, the knowledge from um, the more senior members around you. And uh, I worked my way up from a couple hours a week and, and work on the desk to, uh, to eventually becoming the head pro there. and. Um, through, through connections I, I made there, I um, ultimately landed uh, my role here in Orlando uh, when they when they opened, and I've been here. We're in our fifth year now. So, I think I mean, no, yeah. I mean, I, firstly, I appreciate you coming on and uh, and joining us, and I love those kind of stories. Um, and we touched upon this just before we uh, we went live, but. Tennis is so much more than what people see on the TV. There's so much more to tennis than just the high-level players, the high-performance side of things. Kind of like what we said, like the sexy side of tennis. Like, and ten, there's so much more that goes into this sport. And we've touched upon this on the podcast of, like, Marty, you've brought up multiple times just like how important tennis is to young people and developing skill sets, and even with adults who get into it. Just there's so much to learn on a tennis court other than just like ground strokes and tactics. And with your story, Ben, like, you know, not coming from a playing background, but obviously having a very successful career in tennis and being able to help so many people along the way um, get into the sport. Firstly, I kind of want to talk about like, what do you... What do you see in people when they first start? What are some of the challenges that you find to get people in, into tennis and then to keep them excited about it? Because it is a difficult sport at the beginning. Absolutely. Um, just, just speaking about my, my, my previous role uh, at uh, my previous facility, it was a big fitness facility. We had 12,000, 13,000 uh, fitness members. Uh, and typically in the fitness world, the kind of retention rate for, uh, for, for fitness members is 20% or so. and um, and tennis is, is unique where it tends to, once you can get people to, to enjoy the game and, and, and love the game, they, they, they tend to, to stay. They tend mm-hmm. to want to stay with you. Uh, and, and in the fitness world, at, uh, at least at the, the club we work, we used to talk about the five fears. And they're really, really common in fitness uh, and part of, the, part of the reason why people burn out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's also part of the reason why people can burn out of tennis. They, they can feel stupid or like they don't know what they're doing out there. Uh, I, I know that uh, if I were to go out and try a different sport, uh, I'm sure I would feel kind of silly and stupid, you know, um, 
they don't want to feel like a, a klutz, you know, yeah. uh, or, or they, they'll feel kind of isolated. I don't really know anyone. Uh, you know, I, I, it helps if they're signing up with friends or, or others that, that tends to help bring things in. Um, sometimes people can feel, you know, physique anxiety, like, Oh, I'm not in shape. I, I, I don't think I can, can, uh, do that. Um, and then also sometimes people can feel kind of forced to join, you know, like, uh, like there's some sort of pressure to, to do that. And, um, I, I've found that o- over the years, just kind of looking to, to build an environment that, that early on, uh, you, you, you're creating a, a sense of community, a, a social component. Uh, there's certainly learning that's important. I know as instructors, we tend to really want to focus in on, on the technical aspects and getting them to have the best forehand and the best backhand and best serve. Um, but at the end of the day, they're, they're brand new. All they want to do is, is feel like they're, they're getting a good workout. Uh, they're, we're going to find more success if they're feeling like they're, they're a part of a community uh, and that, uh, and that they're, they're, there's, they're playing a game. They're having fun, you know? So um, kind of cultivating, understanding that and, and cultivating an environment where, where those things uh, are, uh, are fulfilled is really important. And uh, yeah. I think, I think the U S has done a really good job, especially the, the, the period of time that I spent in the U S and where I was running facility, the, the, just the ideas of how to make tennis more fun to the average person and not just being this elitist sport that, you only really play if you're really good at it. And if, you, if you're going to play it from a young age, you have to go the high performance route. And I think it's done a really good job of things like, you know, when I was working for Genesis, it was, we're doing play tennis fast, we're doing cardio tennis. And those groups had more numbers to them and were bringing more people to tennis than it was anything high performance that I was doing. And I think, again, for tennis to survive as one of the mainstream sports, for, us to, for it to be accessible to everybody, it needs to carry on having that kind of um, ability to adapt and capture new, you know, new types of people to the court because there's so much you can do with a tennis court. It doesn't have to be the classic where you train like this, you play your tournaments at the weekend and then you train again. And it's like this like revolving door of people burning out. I wanted to jump in. I, um, if you just think of it from the amount of time someone can budget in their day, their week, right? If you like kids tend to have a little bit more time to budget, but, but adults certainly they might have one or two hours a week to budget for, for tennis or for biking or for working out or, you know, like I can get away from my family for that one hour, that two hours, and they're going to look forward to it every week. But you can't be a high performance player if you're only, dedicating an hour a week. And so their expectations are just to get a good workout, have fun, be social. And that's, that's a win for them. And if you get a bunch of those people, it's a win for your program. Absolutely. And like, and again, you're, you're dead right with the, the amount of time it takes to get to a decent level of tennis is a lot more demanding than most sports. And with, with, you know, with the things I just said, like play tennis fast and, you know, the cardio tennis and all the other stuff that they're coming out with now, it doesn't require a high skill set of tennis to enjoy themselves on the court. And I think that's really important as well to keep people interested. It's, it's not to focus too much on like who's got the best forehand out there, who's got the best backhand out there. It's more about how can we enjoy ourselves in this environment on a tennis court. So with that, I mean, obviously the, the roles of the coaches are very important because you do have different types of coaches. And I've talked about this before on the podcast where you have your high performance coaches who are 
set in their ways and that and they have to coach a certain style to produce a certain level of player and, and all the stresses that come with that but i have so much admiration for people like you who are doing what i think is the harder task of dealing with so many different levels so many different types of people how do you build a team an environment within your staff there at the uca campus in order to give that experience, for order people to feel that when they're on the court, that they're not under pressure to have to have the best one, the best technique. Well, well, at the end of the day, and 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 let me preface this by saying this is this is me. I'm not representing the USTA as an organization yeah, yeah. or the, the campus as a whole. But for me, um, and for most people, it it you're we're hiring people because at the end of the day, uh, players want to be around people. You know, mm -hmm. they like if if. If you're fun to be around, then I want to be with you. It doesn't matter necessarily as much if, uh, um, I mean, it does matter if you can help fix their forehand, um, but it matters a lot more that you're, you're fun to be around. And so oftentimes um, when, when hiring, it can be more helpful to say, these are things that can, can be taught and these are things that can't be taught. And so um, at the end of the day, maybe someone has um, a little bit less uh, teaching experience or they, or um, their skill set maybe not quite where, where, where you would want it. Um, but they're a, a very engaging personality and they're, they answer your emails and phone calls in a timely manner. They, um, they show up on time for an interview, those sorts of things, uh, really, really go a long way to running a successful staff. Um, uh, and you know, you can be the best teacher in the world, but if you're constantly showing up five minutes late, the people that you're with and your boss aren't going to appreciate it very much. So, um, It'll, it'll certainly impact your success in, in the industry. Yeah, and I think that's very typical from what I've seen with coaches that excel in like adult tennis or 10 under tennis. They have such a magnetic personality. People are drawn to them and people aren't necessarily, don't keep coming back just because they enjoy the tennis part of it. They enjoy the social environment that the coach provides and you know, they, they feel connected to that person. They trust that person with that valuable time that they, they only have, you know, maybe a couple of hours a week and they want to go and see the, the, the professional. They want to go and be part of that environment. And I think it's a very high skill set that coaches need to be able to create that time and time again and keep people interested in it. So, as I said, I have so much admiration for it. Um, Vulzi, I have a question for you. So, I mean, obviously you're in an academy setting right now with Nadal and everything. How how does Nadal's your experience at the Dallas Academy beam with that? Because I know they have a great adult program and they have a they have a great it's an under program. Like, are you seeing that kind of stuff happen there? Yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, they both. I'm currently. Well, I did. I did work in Mallorca from the start, Ben, and I'm actually uh, I feel quite uh, in the same page as you because starting a project from the start. Uh, it's, it's very challenging and, and but also exciting at the, at the same moment. You are a, a bit nervous. What's what's going to happen? And and for sure, uh, the, well, we we have also a big adult program at the academy. But I wanted to ask you, uh, from your own experience at the USTA campus, when you got there for, from the first time, the first week or the first day, if you remember, what were your goals uh, in, in such a big project because it's such a big project uh, the USTA in Orlando is such a big facility how, how did you manage that in terms of okay what were your goals to set your your programs and and how you go, you were going to target your clients because from my own experiences that I had I remember being uh, in the first week 
uh, in the academy in Mallorca and, and you don't really know how many people are going to show up or how many kids are going to show up. Actually, you don't know the exact number. So how, how, what's your experience on that and how did you, did you manage it? I mean, if, boy, where do I start? Uh, so as so I moved down here and um, Orlando actually is not a really big tennis town. So, um, and me moving down here to, to, to Florida, I was thinking, you know, there, there, there may be more senior players down here. Um, for, for me to start out, it was, it was more, uh, and it was unique at the campus because um, we, we opened in the first week of January of 2017. And um, yeah, 2017. And um, the campus kind of didn't get released from the, um, from the construction company until the December prior. So we really weren't even on the courts until like we hit go. We kind of hired our staff, a very small staff to start with. Uh, and so it was figuring out what our market looked like. Mm -hmm. uh, that was the, the biggest goal, um, it, kind of setting up programs. All right, we'll do a cardio at six o'clock at night and we'll do this, we'll do that. Um, it was, kind of creating a program, but also uh, one of our biggest worries when we opened was, will we have enough hours for our staff? Um, can, you know, we're, we've got all these plans and we're hiring these people really hoping that people come. And so a lot of it was um, a lot of outreach. We were out in the community a lot at, at local, local you know, festivals and looking to connect with the, the local schools. And, and it's funny, we still, today have people saying, Oh, the, you know, what's the USTA and, and that they, they live in Orlando and have no idea that the largest tennis facility in the world exists two miles down the road. And, and so um, a, a lot of our battle has just been letting people know that we're here, uh, what we are and what, what we um, represent. Uh, so, so the, one of the biggest hurdles and or biggest challenges for me was a, uh, was figuring out what our market was and, and providing a, a program that could one be, be relevant to the, the, the public as well as provide hours for the people that we had just hired. Yeah. Do, do you think it's important there? Because like, again, me coming from a high performance background and it's a very, it, the structure of that is very much like I was in charge of like, this is how much you need to be playing. This is the time you to turn up and, there's no wiggle room there. Like as, as a high performance player, like you're told what to do and you just got to follow the, 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 the system, right? When it comes to the, all the other aspects of tennis that realistically keep the, the, the sport growing, are you doing a lot of like outreach to people and asking them what kind of classes they want, getting a lot of feedback from people, kind of try and provide them something that, that they necessarily want, not kind of like tell them what to do. Because especially with, a campus that size, you probably do have a lot of options to provide a lot of different services. How have you guys gone around doing that? Uh, a couple, couple of notes. One, when we first opened also, um, the USDA obviously is the governing body of, of American tennis. Uh, and so when we first opened, there, there was a, a real concern that we would be considered the, you know, the big bad Walmart you know, not the Walmart's bad uh, by any means, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, the big bad guy moving in and shutting down all the little guys. And so we were very cognizant of that when we first opened, we, which, which kind of hurt our growth, um, but also we wanted to be uh, very conscious of that and be good neighbors. So um, we didn't do a lot of big scale marketing and, and, and outreach. We just kind of, out, we just kept it to our local area, um, the Lake Nona area that we're in. 
And, um, and so that, that was a, it was a challenge, but, um, and what was the other part of your question? I'm sorry, Thomas. Yeah. Just, just asking like, you know, just maybe getting feedback from the, oh, yes, yes, yes. there and then creating classes for them so that, that you were giving them yep. a service that would keep them coming back. Absolutely. And that, that's been a, a big part of what I do is ask, asking questions, getting to, getting to know every single person that's out here. I, I like, I'm, I like knowing everyone who's involved in my program and, and, and being able to stop and, and, and make touch, have a, have a touch point with them. Um, what, what are you looking for? What, what, what can we do? Are, are the times working for your schedule? Uh, and, and then as well, just understanding that you know, Thursday nights are big. Let's, let's see if we can grow it here. This class isn't working very well. Let's replace it with something else. And um, in, in the first you know, a couple months, we certainly made a lot of adjustments. Certainly, in the, in the first six months, it was a a lot of a, a adjusting. Um, an interesting side note: during COVID, when we shut down, um, it was a really uh, it was very difficult. Um, you know, there were a lot of lemons being thrown at us, but we we looked to make some lemonade by polling our staff and and seeing what uh, allowing them to 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 do a deep dive in what we do and how we do it and uh, how can we do it better. Uh, I thought it was a really great great exercise uh, considering that uh, we were all sort of not working uh, yeah. but it was it was great to to be able to make that dive and and, and have that uh, that thought exercise and we've implemented a lot of those changes yeah and I think that's so important for tennis to keep doing that to keep because again a lot of people from the outside looking in at tennis they look at it as this again rigid sport there's just you know this is how it's done and you know you go you go to the core and you and this is how you play it and this is how a set is played and over the last, well, for me, over the last five years, I've seen this big shift in tennis just adapting and, and trying to, to recreate itself. And, and um, Marty, from, from your experience being down there and being at such a big campus, and I mean, it's an amazing place if anyone ever gets to go there. What, would, what did you see? How did you see that place evolve in the time that you were there? And um, what were the, the key things that you thought that made it successful? Well, um... There's many things. Before I even jump into that, I actually had the pleasure of working under Ben and learning a lot from him. And, uh, you know, as he said, he, he did a great job and, you know, interviewing everybody that came in and asking what they wanted, what, what they needed. We kind of did an analysis on, okay, what level of play are we dealing with? Most adult players land between the 3.0, 3.5 level, would you say, Ben? Yeah. Somewhere, somewhere around there and we catered most of our classes were catered towards that level or those were the biggest classes that we had going on at the time um but yeah no and something else that i really enjoyed while my time at the campus was um with the camps that ben used to run and he would bring people from out of state and do an amazing job running the logistics and and uh, I'd like him to tell us a little bit about that and, and how he structured those camps to, you know, make sure we had the right levels in the right courts, make sure that the right pros were matched with the right players. And, and I don't know if you could just expand a little bit on, on that, Ben. Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, that, was, that was something we started off with uh, kind of the, the last part of the, the first year we started once we kind of got a feel for our day-to-day -day programming, we knew that ultimately we wanted to be, I mean, Orlando is a destination for families and for, for players. It's a really easy city to get in and out of. We're 10 minutes from the airport. Uh, and so we knew that uh, we, 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 we'd want to offer camps for both kids and adults, but uh, I, I 
work mostly with adults. And uh, so we, we began offering those and just like everything else, we, we adjusted them. But uh, um, I found over the side note, I found um, over the course of offering all these camps that they, we, we tend to attract more of the, um, the enthusiasts. You know, there, there are certainly a lot of camps that are um, that offer a lot of amenities and they're very luxurious and have, you know, five star rooms and, and food. Uh, and, and we tend to be uh, attracting the, the players who want tennis and tennis only. They, they're coming in, they want to, they want to hit it hard. They want a lot of, a lot of training. They want a lot of on court time. And then they want to go, you know, grab their beer with some pals at a local restaurant. And that's a, that's a win for them. Uh, and so, uh, we've, we've adjusted to kind of fit that model. And, um, as far as running the camps, our, our camps, uh, we offer one day, we call them crash courses and we, that are, that are throughout the, the week. We tend to book those uh, on off peak times um, on a Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And we, we, we kind of tailor them to what event might be going on on the weekend. We have a lot of um, Florida section events or national events. And so if it's a, if it's a three, five nationals and great, awesome. We're going to have a three Oh three, five, maybe four Oh, um, offering for that particular weekend, or it's a four or five nationals, then it'll be a four oh plus camp, whatever it may be. And so we, we kind of make our schedule out. I tend to be a year in advance based on what events are. Uh, and then the actual format of the camps, generally it's a two, two and a half hour morning session followed by a two, two and a half hour afternoon session. Uh, we run through, we've, we've modified what we do and why we do it and how we do it. Um, every step of the way, but we've kind of settled into a, a good groove. We tend to do 25 minute drills uh, and either myself or another um, kind of leadership member of, of the team will, will demo the particular exercise uh, and uh, talk about some of the key points, the key areas, uh, and then, and then slide out. And we've got a, a, a very kind of uh, good book of, of drills that all of the pros are very familiar with now and they're, they're familiar with all the, the general talking points and adjustments for different levels and um, playing styles. And um, it, it's, it's gone through very, very successfully. And then we have a match play component at the end of it. Yeah. I mean, running camps is for anybody who doesn't know is, is a real skill um, to get it right. It is, it is very stressful. It is very um, logistically as well. You've got to be very on point because especially like coming to a, you know, a USDA camp, people are going to have high expectations of what they're, you know, what they want. And tennis players are notorious for not wanting to play with lower level players and they want certain drills. And when you've got these kind of camps, you, you're throwing a lot of people into the, into the mixing pot and then you've got to try and provide them value um, for each indiv in individual. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it, it is uh, hats off to you for, for making it successful there because you, I think you have the extra pressure of like, I'm going to sure. the camp, so I'm, it's going to be good. It's got to be good. Right. And, um, yeah, go on. Oh, I was going to say on your note about, uh, I mean, players tend to be choosy about who they play with. Um, I'll, not, lots of pros do this, but I, I frequently kind of give back to the, the, Oh, I think we lost Ben. Yeah, I'll just carry on and kind of explain. I think where he was going was um, Ben does a great job at explaining in camps how sometimes I, I'll play with Tom in a match and, oh, I love hitting with Tom because he mm -hmm. gives me a good ball. But Ben talks about how it's important to play with 
different level players because you, you'll never see the same ball twice. And say I play against Joan and yeah. he's playing moon balls at me. And I don't like playing against Joan and Joan beats me because he plays moon balls. So Ben does a great job at strategically managing his camps. And that's where I wanted him to kind of um, explain more. And so that's pretty much where I think he was going with that. With that. He's very good at, at giving tactical and strategical exercises during a camp, which I think is a great practice mm. because, you know, sometimes we get too technical when we're explaining stuff on the court. And mm. I, I consider that malpractice at times from a pro. When, when I, I get, I'm working with someone who's I'm only going to be with for a day or two, I shouldn't be telling him how to change his technique. Yeah. What I should be working on is tactics and strategies is what Ben does very well on that. So let's just carry on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially what, what do you guys think about that? No, especially especially coming from his, you know, being in the USDA campus where they have such a large staff of coaches and everything. In his position, he has to manage the fact that, uh, okay, he wants to have the coaches um, being uh, very strict on how to follow a certain methodology or, or want to be like loose and everyone goes there and, and do their own thing. So I, I guess it would be good to hear from him what's, what's the balance from his experience if what, he's a very strict guy or, or you know, he lets, lets things flow a little bit more. Yeah, and I, I agree with both your points. There. I think like, you know, um, when, when, you, when you're providing a, a service like that, you've got to be, um, you've got to be very aware that you're providing the service, you're giving these people a um, and Ben's back. Um, I just want to point. Sorry, guys. No, you're good. You're giving these people a service, but you don't want to. You also want to ha have them enjoy the experience as well. So you've got to find that balance of like, okay, we're not spending too much time on technical stuff, even if some people want that, because the majority of people want that fast pace. But um, Ben, we were just we we're just kind of going into the the running of the camps, but. Marty, I think you had a question for him on um, on the logistics of like. Oh no, sorry, Volzi, you had a you had a question on the logistics of how strict you are with certain things, right? Yeah, exactly. My question was then that uh, I'm intrigued on how, from your position, how you manage your coaches in in terms of okay, USDA campus have a, such a large uh, staff. Um, are you very strict in terms of uh, the methodology that you want to implement in practices or you let it go a little bit more and everyone kind of do the, the, their, their own thing or you're like some, somewhere, how, how do you manage it's a, it's, it's a little bit different in each of the areas. The, starting in our, what we call our family zone, which would be the orange and, and red ball courts, the, the 10 and under kids, uh, methodology is, is pretty buttoned up. Uh, the, the, they do a, we do a lot of staff trainings, um, the way we should be teaching forehands and backhands. Um, Coach Rita Gladstone, who's um, the head pro in charge of that area, um, does a re really great job with a majority of the staff. Um, and then moving up through the line, uh, especially with the juniors, it's a, it, it's, it's, it's a lot more buttoned up than, than say in the uh, adult area, just because with adults, um, and I mean, players come in with some really, really weird looking stuff. Um, and, and that's okay. You know, they're, 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 they've got all kinds of bandages on their arms and, and, uh, there's a reason for it, but uh, you know, they're, they're playing once a week and they're having fun. And, um, um, at the end of the day, you know, if I can give them a, a tip or two that, that'll, that'll help them, um, 
that, that's good. You know, making those changes um, takes a little bit more time. But as far as the, the coaches themselves, uh, it, it's certainly not uh, uh, a laissez-faire, just do whatever the heck you want out there. Um, but it's, it's understanding the, the coach's skill set, uh, their background, their, their strengths, their weaknesses. Um, and I, I wouldn't put someone out in a, in a certain environment or, or a certain format without fully understanding that they can deliver uh, to, to my expectations or our expectations um, for that particular, particular class. And, so, you know, oftentimes, um, I didn't mean to cut you off, I'm sorry. Um, oftentimes, un until I know a pro, I, I'll, I'll have them shadow. Whenever we're bringing in new pros, whether they're uh, mm -hmm. someone who has a lot of experience or, or, or very little experience, generally the first couple weeks of someone's employment here at the campus would be uh, pretty much shadowing the, the head pros or senior members of, of the staff to see everything that goes on the campus. We don't hire anyone. We don't hire too many people who are very specialized uh, in what they do um, for a number of reasons. One, because we're, we're just so big and crazy, uh, but two, just for balance. I, I feel that doing the same thing day in and day out can, can really be a grind uh, and having a little variety in your schedule I think is real healthy for, for anyone. Um, and so making sure that all, all of the incoming staff are exposed to some red ball and some orange ball, um, you know, some of our, our green ball performance kids that are coming up and that you know, eventually will be in our high performance program to see our high performance program. So they um, kind of understand how they're delivered and what it looks like, but also so that when, when a mom asks them a question about, you know, is, is my kid ready to move up or, or what does it look like? I see that class over there. What is that? Uh, they'll have a, a little better idea of, of how to explain that. Yeah, I think that's a really, that's a really, really good point. And I, I especially think that a lot of facilities get this part wrong where they do burn their coaches out where it's just like, oh, that's what that coach does. And they're going to keep doing that, keep doing that. And that's great for a certain amount of time. And then all of a sudden that coach starts going, do you know what? I don't love this like I used to because they completely surround themselves in it. And I think as coaches, we all know that being on a court all day, seeming like every day, it can get very, very draining. And I think when you, if you've had three or four, I don't know, you know, obviously you guys will, will know if you do like, let's say three or four hours of private lessons, and then you go into a group setting, you feel refreshed. It feels very different because you're like, oh, you know, I've done three hours in a row of, of privates and you kind of get in the groove, but after a while you're like, oh God, you know, and then all of a sudden you go into the groups, it almost feels like you're doing a completely different thing. And I think that's really, really important for coaches to, to be able to keep providing a valuable service um, and the customers to feel like every hour that they're getting, that coach is really invested into it. And if a coach is just, you know, banging out the hours, at some point, someone's going to feel like that coach doesn't care. And it might not be the fact that coach doesn't care, it's just, they're just burnt out, you know. Um, yeah. On the other side. Yeah, I, I can tell you, I mean, the at my old job, I, I do mostly adults here, so my role is just a little bit different. I have a lot more diversity in my old, old role, but yeah. um, I, I can say that, that having those privates is important and then working with the, the, the teenagers. You, you're, you're a different a different person when you're around them. And then you're, you're with the, the eight and under the six year olds, yeah. you're a silly, crazy, different person. Uh, and so having that diversity is important, but also uh, being exposed to that and, and understanding that you, you can't teach an eight year old how to hit a high performance forehand. You, you know, it's to understand and those, those sorts of conversations with a student and understanding how to help someone get from A to B and then B to C 
um, at different stages of the development is is really important for the development of of a pro just as much as uh, and I've seen a lot of high performance pros who you throw them out there with some you know with an eight year old or with um, a six year old three o player who has crazy mechanics and they have no idea what's going on uh, uh-huh. and not that there's anything necessarily good or bad it's just um, it's it's important to to welcome a little bit of diversity into your uh, into your weekly schedule because you never know what your next job is going to require you know like you, you hmm. covid could hit and you get thrown out and then you're looking for work and you want to be as uh, employable as, as as you can yeah i think that's a, that's an absolutely very valuable point and especially in tennis because um tennis there is so much diversity in in the sense that there's so many different play- people that want to play in so many different in the age bracket as well for tennis. It's one of those sports you can keep playing your entire life. And so you are going to have to diversify yourself if you are a coach for sure. Um, before we, uh, before we sign, okay, go on, go on. Oh, just one quick note. I have a lot of conversations with younger, younger coaches that come in or, or interns. And um, I, I, I always kind of break it down in this way for, if you're thinking about building a resume, Right. Mm-hmm. And and you go off and you, you're, you're a high performance coach or you, you do one item. Think of it as a line item. If everything I've done in my career is high performance, then that's one line item. But having a weekly red ball class, that's a second line item or volunteering for a, uh, a wheelchair group or a veterans group uh, once every six months. That's another line item. And and even though you may have thousands of hours of one particular thing, it's really only one line item to a perf- prospective employer and they say, okay, this guy did this. Um, but I, I saw he did this, 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 and this. Wow. That, that he, he could provide some value to, to our program. Absolutely. And I think, you know, being someone who was a high performance coach that was doing the traveling constantly and my whole coaching career was based towards high performance. I definitely did spend time doing the 10 and under and doing the adults. And I think it made yeah. me a better coach. I was able yeah. to communicate with the high performance players better because I understood them more as human beings than I did as just like, you're these little athletes that I'm trying to get to win. I actually, you know, kids the same age I was coaching that were not the same skill level, but they're the same kid. You know, they go to the same school. They, they, they socialize outside of it. And I think it's very refreshing for high performance coaches to understand that tennis is not all about how many wins you can get and how many tournaments you can win. That there, it, there has to be a love for the game. There has to be a level of enjoyment, especially if you're going to take it to a high performance yeah. level or college level. If you don't love the sport, we've said this multiple times on, on the podcast, if you don't love it and you don't learn that love from an early age, which is why I have so much respect for the, for the guys that do 10 under and really do it well, because they develop that love. They develop that core sense of why they want to work so hard to then get to a college level that is extremely difficult. Um, before, we, before we sign off, just talk a little bit about COVID and kind of the post-COVID world and how that's affected you guys when it comes to group ex- uh, group setting and camps and all that good stuff. So we, we shut down in mid-March of last year, about a year ago, opened back up um, mid-June, opened up with a very skeleton crew, uh, myself and the other three members of our leadership team, uh, and then quickly brought things in, uh, brought, brought more pros in. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, uh, we started off with a four to one ratio as far as the on courts, whereas like a cardio class, we'd have up to eight players on a, on a court. So we, we minimized that. So campus wide, no more than four players per court. 
Um, we're institute a lot of policies and procedures that uh, um, as players come in, we have a security guard that, that, that checks them in. There's a, uh, an electronic waiver that they all, that everyone needs to fill out, that staff need to fill out. Um, just simple things like making sure that all of our staff are actually doing that. So we can run a port and, and see, okay, you know, I know this person was on campus, but they didn't fill out the report. Um, just making sure that, that everyone understands that we, we take this very serious. And we found that, um, or I found that, that optics mean a lot. Uh, being safe is important, but that the optics of looking safe and feeling safe are just as important. And so um, in the junior classes and adult classes, uh, just going that extra mile to, to, to have the hand sanitizer or to, to talk about as you're coming up to the net, just a, a, a reference to, all right, let's, let's, you know, we'll keep our distance here as I explain the drill uh, or putting dots on the ground to, to help people understand we're, we're six feet apart. Just that we're constantly thinking about that. They may not necessarily think about it all the time, but when you're presenting, this is our product and we're, we're trying to do our best to present it in a, a safe way. Um, Often, you know, maybe coaches wearing wearing masks. Sometimes we we do that. We notice that the you know if you've got students on court that have masks on, throw your mask on. That's going to make them feel safer. Uh, and if they at the end of the day feel safer, they're going to continue coming back. And as soon as they don't feel safe, they won't come back. Mm -hmm. um, and we of course have had a a couple people who have not felt safe, and and, and that's understandable. It, you know, it's just a it is what it is. Um, but for the most part making sure that our staff are constantly on that. And that's, that's part of my role and, and, and all of our roles out there is, is identifying, um, you know, an area where we might be able to improve or a way we can deliver it that, that will, will be safer and will be, will be seen as, as safer. Um, the last thing we want, even if we are safe is for someone to think that we're, we're not safe. Um, for sure. Well, Ben, listen, I really appreciate you coming on and joining us today. And, uh, it's Thank been you guys. fascinating to talk to you. And, um, Maybe we'll get you back on in a few months' time and get an update for you and see kind of how the world is uh, post all this COVID stuff and uh, going into the summer. And I know you guys will be very busy down there. But, um, yeah, I really appreciate you coming on. And, uh, and Thank you, guys. I very much enjoyed it. Cool. All right, guys. Well, anyone who's listening, appreciate you listening. And we'll see you back next week for episode 11. See you, Thanks, guys. Ben. Good time. Bye, guys. See you, guys. See you, Ben.